Just join me as I do that right now. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you here. And may your presence, may we sense it even doubled from what we did earlier. May we know that we move and live and breathe in the presence of Almighty God. That everything you do in us and through us is God for our good and for your glory. And so Holy Spirit, speak so we can hear and and we will listen. God, give us the ears to hear the things of God and give us the eyes to see the things of God. And we give you praise, God, for every single person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been reading uh, with great intrigue the ritual of a man or a boy becoming a man in Nigerian culture. I picked up a book by Gordon uh, Delby, and he began to tell his story when he was in the Peace Corps years ago. Young guy right out of college went there to teach science. And in one of these dialogues, he was sitting down with a young Nigerian man, and he said to him, what is the ritual of becoming a man in your culture? Gordon said, I really couldn't relate to that at all because we have no transition. We have no ritual of manhood. He said, the only thing I could come to my mind was that we get to vote and we get to go fight and we get a driver's license. And I went through those basic things that have nothing to do with that transition into manhood. And I at the moment, he said, I, I thought, you know, it's a little bit shallow. He doesn't understand. It's a primitive culture. And then a couple of days later, it hit me how powerful that question was and how lacking I was and we are as a society of really creating true biblical masculinity in our world. So he went back to him and he said, will you tell me the story? How, how does a, a boy become a man in your culture? And he began to tell what I would say is an intriguing story. The story of how the father, when the boy turns about 12 years old, begins to realize it's time for his son to become a man. And those other boys in that clan, they, they then are also identified by their fathers, and a night is determined. And on that night, all the men wear a mask, and they come with drums, and they come to the door of each boy. And at the, the door, they begin to knock, and they call out for the boy, and they say, come, come, son of our people, son of our people, come out. And the ritual is, is somewhat staged and somewhat real in that the mother comes to the door, and she says, what do you want? And they said, we want the boy. It's time for him to become a man. And she pushes the boy behind her, and she says, no, you can't have him. He's mine. And again, they pound on the door, and this can go on for hours at times. And the boy is never able to be uh, uh, permitted to be pushed out by the mother, nor pulled out by the father. By his own decision, he has to step around his mother and step across the threshold and declare himself he wants to become a man. They then take that boy into the, into the, into the jungle, and in the jungle, he will spend three or four days through various rituals, which includes circumcision, learning how to hunt, learning how to separate from family, and learning how to become a man. In that time, the father goes back and he builds a small house for the son. Because when the son returns, he can never, never return into the house of his mother. 
In fact, until he has planted a crop, until he has killed his own game, he cannot look his mother in the eye. And when the boy returns, he goes into that house and he begins to live and he begins to set up life as a man. And when I read that story, I thought how lacking we are in some kind of a transition to become a true man. Most of us, like Jacob, like most American males, have been overly bonded to our mother. And in such, we don't understand true biblical masculinity. And what does it mean to become a warrior, not in the Rambo sense of the word, but a warrior for your house, a warrior for the kingdom, a warrior for God. In the story we have before us today in Genesis chapter 2, we find God speaking to Adam. Adam has now been placed into the Garden of Eden. And as we see the story, we'll pick it up in chapter 2, the Bible says this, that the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And that word Eden means pleasant or a delight. And Eden was a delightful place, but God never intended for Eden to, or Eden to be the final resting place for man. Man would eventually outgrow the Garden of Eden and would have to spread into all the world. And thus the command to be fruitful and, and fill the earth and spread out all around the land. But he, God had to put him in an environment which seemed peaceful but really was hostile. What could be more hostile than to be in the place where God puts you and to have Satan there trying to tempt you? And yet it was in that very situation that God wanted to take Adam and train him and turn him into a warrior for God. We look sometimes with curiosity at the life of Job and we wonder, why did God release Satan on Job? It was God's idea, you know. Why did he do that? Why did he say you can do anything you want to Job, but you cannot kill him? And we think, thank God he doesn't do that to us, and yet I believe that he does. I believe that God releases things in our life, demonic spirits even if you will, because he wants us to learn in the battle how to become warriors for the king. It is how we overcome, whether we succeed or fail, God wants us to learn how to become warriors for the king. And without that experience, we cannot get it. And so the Bible says, he put man there uh, whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God has told Adam, you can eat from anything you want. You can have anything you want in here, but you can't have that. That's all you can't have. And isn't it interesting how just like us today, the one thing that God says don't do, we want. There is something in our fallen nature that desires that which is self-destructive. And we go down those paths many times, do we not? Only to go back and go, God, here I am. Forgive me, God, how do I move forward? Well, notice what it says in verse 15. Then the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So Adam had two jobs. He was going to tend the garden, which we assume is kind of gardening, but he was going to keep it. And that's a word that means to guard or to protect. Something's going to try to get in the garden, and you have to keep it out. You have to be a protector. In other words, Adam, you have to become a warrior, and I'm going to give you right now 
real-life training on how to do that. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now think what Adam must have thought when he heard that word die. No one ever died before. He didn't know what dying meant. There was no concept of his, in his head. There was never seen an animal die. He'd never seen a human being die. He never even could define it. But somehow he realized that in that garden, when, when he chose from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that something in him indeed died. Something alienated him from God. Something prevented him from really understanding and relating to and being in fellowship with God. It's the same thing you and I feel today. It's what we feel when, when we feel like God is a long way off or we feel like God is just not connecting with us or maybe you feel like God doesn't love you or maybe even God doesn't like you. If God liked you more, maybe God would bless you more, heal you. He would supply your need or whatever. That's the alienation that comes. It's the hole in your life. It's the absence of the full presence of God, and every human being experiences it. And there are times when we understand the fullness of his presence, and we understand the joy, and God wants us to live in that. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy of that was set before him. You know what the joy that was set before him was? You. You're the joy set before him. You're the trophies of God's grace. Everything he did on the cross, he did for you. That is his joy. We need to understand that God wants us to understand this idea of unmerited favor. God doesn't love you because you're lovable. God doesn't love you because you always do what's right. God loves you because it's his nature and his character to love you. I love these words from Bill Johnson. He said, any revelation from God's word that does not lead to an encounter with God serves only to make us more religious. The church cannot afford form without power, for it creates Christians without purpose. We don't need form. We need transformation. We need something different. You know, it's really interesting to see what God does and how God works. Uh, uh, and I want to equate it to a car I bought. Years ago, I, I, I bought a 1958 Porsche. I bought it for $2,500. It was a total disaster. Had no glass in it. The paint was awful. It didn't run. Somehow I convinced Tammy to let me buy this car. And I had this great dream, as every young guy has of a dream, right? The dream is I'm going to restore this car. It's going to be worth so much money. You're going to be so proud to drive in this car with me. That was my dream. And if you've ever restored a car, you know dreams get dashed early. By the time you get the first bill and the first frustration, you know this was not the dream I imagined for my life. But I bought the car, finally got it running, and then I began a restoration from the ground up. I began underneath it, and I began to, to fix panels and began to take and cut rust out. And, and I really didn't know much what I was doing. I'd read manuals, and I'd go back, and I'd try it and see if it worked. And, and then I got that done, and then I took the engine out. 
never taken an engine out of a car before and didn't really know how to fix it. Fortunately, in 1958, Porsches were kind of like Volkswagens, and so it was pretty simple. And I took the heads off, and I had things powder-coated, and I got it running, and then I moved inside, and I had the headliner put in. And, uh, and by the way, I have to tell you, once I got it running, Tammy and I would take rides around uh, town in it, and I never could really solve the problem of exhaust leak. Or smelling like gasoline when you got done. So we would get out of the car and everything would have to be washed. Everything would have to be showered. It was just a disaster. But she was a good sport and went along with it. And I finally got to a place where I had it painted and it was beautiful. It really, really was beautiful and still smelled like gas, still smelled like exhaust whenever you drove it. And I drove it for a while and then my daughter went to college. And she got a pretty substantial bill from college. And so I made a decision, I'm going to sell it, and I'll take the money, and I'll pay off her college loan so she will not have to have college debt. And I never told her why I sold the car. It was painful to sell that car. That was like my little baby, right? And uh, I never told her why. And then later, I, uh, after she got married, I said, she said to me, Dad, why did you sell that Porsche? I said, so I could pay off your college. And she felt bad, and I was glad. I really was. I wanted her to feel the pain of my sacrifice for her. I didn't want to make it better. I didn't want to to make it easy. I wanted it to hurt for a long time. But now let me just take you back to the Porsche, okay? And let's equate it to our life. Your life is like a 1958 automobile that leaks that has exhaust leaks and gas leaks, that, that has some rust, that has all of those things. And what we have to do with our life is, and sometimes it's on a, on a regular basis, sometimes a daily basis, we have to go back and say, let me start from the ground up. Where's the rust? Where's the problem? What can I do? And let me make some progress. Sometimes we get frustrated. There were times where I was so frustrated, if someone would have come along and towed it from my house, I would have been gladly giving it to them. You know, and you, it's easy to give up in the process, isn't it? The process of restoration, the process of healing, the process of, of going to the next level in your spiritual maturity. It's easy to do. It's easy just to kind of say, forget it. Enough of that. I'm done with it. But you see, what God does is he allows us that process because in the process of doing that, guess what happens to us? Not just are we becoming more like him, but we are learning skills for the next level of maturity and growth in the kingdom of God. And then one day, I remember the day I got it back from the painter, and I was looking at it, and I just got a lawn chair, and I set it up in my, in my garage. And I was living in New Jersey at the time. It was winter. It was freezing. There was no heat in my garage. But I was so proud. I just stared at it. Tammy came out and said, what are you doing? You're going to freeze to death. I said, I'm staring at my project. I'm not sure how long I'm going to stare at it, but I'm going to stare at my project. And as I stared at it, what went through my mind was every ounce of energy I put into it. Every time a piece of rust broke off and fell into my eye, every time I scraped my knuckles, everything I did, and I looked at it with admiration and with a sense of pride in the good sense of the word because I had done something with my hands. God wants you to look at your life the same way. He wants you to see the progress. You may not be as far as you want to be or need to be, but he wants you to see where you are. 
and where you've come from. Oh, we'd have setbacks. I had a buddy that was going to help me with it, and he was going to drill the holes for the license plate in the back, and he drilled it in the wrong place off center. And then I had a hole where it didn't belong. And that happens in life, doesn't it? Sometimes you just get it wrong. That's okay. You know, God finds a way to plug the hole. I found out you could just plug the hole, and I plugged the hole and made it better. So I want you to take your life, take inventory over the good things in life, and don't let, don't let the enemy take you down the wrong road of, of saying, well, you're never getting there, you're not that much further. No, God is working in your life all the way. You know, last week we had, during one of the testimonies, we had a, a lady, and she was here in the first service, but uh, who's deaf. And uh, her husband would interpret and sign for her during the message. And when the message was over, she walked out and she went up and talked to Crystal, one of the gals on our team that had gone on the mission trip and she had given a testimony. And she went up to her and her husband interpreted for her. She said, during your testimony, I heard every word you said. Now, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know why God wanted her to hear that story. She didn't hear the other stories. She didn't hear my message. Not with her physical ears, but with her physical ears, she heard Crystal's story. You see, sometimes God does something that is unexplainable. God works miracles you can't figure out. And you just have to step back and just admire the grace of God because God has a purpose for all of us. And part of his purpose is he wants to produce overcomers in our life. He wants you to be an overcomer. You know how the Bible says in Romans 8 that, that uh, he has made us more than a conqueror? Well, that's an overcomer. I can overcome things in my life and there's a, because God is training me up for an eternal weight of glory, the Bible says. The Bible says one day you're going to judge the angels. Now think about that. Can you imagine you are going to be seated in judgment over the angels that had fallen away from God? Well, I thought angels were above us. Oh, no. Only mankind was created in the image of God. God wants us also to understand grace. You see, angels never understood grace. You know what grace is? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you earn. You don't get more grace than somebody else. And God wants us not only to be receivers of grace, but God wants us to be givers of grace and extend that. Because we have a unique position in the kingdom of God. You see, let's talk about dominion for just a moment. When Lucifer rebelled against God, he did not forfeit his power. What he forfeited was his authority. And then God gave Adam a delegated authority of dominion over the creation that he made. Adam was responsible to keep it. But Satan, in the, in the garden, he was determined to take it away. And so Satan, out of Eden, and exercised God's given dominion. So Adam was supposed to take control of that situation. And to the degree that he did that, he was successful. To the degree that we don't do that, we feel like we've stepped back. So I just want to encourage you, do not give the enemy any space to take control. You know how he does it sometimes? He'll do it sometimes by, you're not worthy. And you know what? You're not. He'll say, you're a sinner, and you are. But you're so much more than both those things. He'll try to put shame on you or guilt on you or pull out 
you know, make you go into rule mode and just say, well, we got to operate by rules. No, wait a minute. We have to operate out of the tree of life. Easy way to illustrate it like this. Supposing that I walked up to you to one day, and I use this illustration over and over again because it's so powerful, it's so easy to remember. Suppose I walked up to you and say, are you a Christian? And you say, yes. And I say, have you read your Bible today? And, and you say, well, uh, no, I haven't read it. And then I say to you, I thought you were Christian. Christians read their Bible. Why, why didn't you read your Bible? I can't believe you're a Christian and I walk off. How do you feel? You feel horrible. You feel guilty. You feel like you're not a Christian. You feel like you failed. That is operating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let me illustrate the same thing out of the tree of life. Suppose I walked up to you and I say, hey, uh, I don't know what you've been doing today. And uh, you're a Christian? Yeah. Hey, I got to just tell you what I've been doing. I've been reading in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm not sure what all is going in there, but, man, there's some crazy stuff happening. There's some wheels spinning in there. There's, there's flying things with wings. And, and man, and, and I don't know, sometimes I wonder if this guy's on mushrooms. I mean, it's just crazy stuff going on in the book of Ezekiel. Hey, God bless you. Have a good day. Now, what do you want to do? You want to read Ezekiel. I want to get some of that. So the second was illustrating how we operate out of the tree of life and not on the tree of knowledge and good and evil, because good and evil always evaluates. Well, that's pretty good. That's really good. That's really, really good. Or that's evil. That's really evil. That's super evil. See, God doesn't operate that way. That's how man operates when he functions out of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And then there's authority. See, Adam actually had authority over Satan, just like you actually have authority over Satan. When Adam chose to disobey God, what he did was he forfeited that authority. But he could instantly have that authority back by recognizing the enemy, by taking the authority, and overcoming the difficulty he found himself in. I love what Bill Johnson says. He said, we were, we were really designed to invade the impossible. Think about what's really impossible in this world. And yet God says it's possible with me. He went on to say the essence of who we are in Jesus Christ is to invade the impossible. We were born to access the realm of the king. To do the works that he does. Jesus said to his disciples something, and I read it and I go, really? Really? He said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to be with my father. You mean Jesus said I can do greater works than he did? Yes, why? Because the spirit that works in me. Because I've got a lot of time. I've got you together in partnership. We see great things that God does. The fact that you long, long for the impossible demonstrates that you were created to do great exploits in his name. John McMillan, a, a missionary who probably was one of the great uh, forerunners in the whole idea of the authority of the believer, he wrote these words. He said, the secret of Christ's power, that he spoke with authority, he prayed with authority, he commanded authority, and power followed him wherever he went. Do you know when you speak with the authority of God, God's power shows up? You know, sometimes we're afraid to speak with authority because we're afraid something won't happen. Sometimes it's tempting not to pray a really strong, definitive, faith-filled prayer for somebody because you say, what if it doesn't work? And we assume it's our responsibility. Do you know that the kingdom of God always advances by risk? It never advances by those who take it easy. Well, I'm just not going to pray. I'm just not going to push God because I don't want to, you know, I just want to be a safe kind, in the safe zone with God. 
But what God wants us to do is to speak with authority and then pray with authority. God, many times in my prayer, I'll say, God, this is what you said in your word, and I'm sticking to your word. And in my physical man, you know what I go? How does this really work? Will this really happen? Can God really do this? But in my spiritual man, I say, God, your word says it, and I'm going to act on it, and it's your responsibility to pull it off, not mine. I cannot do that. I, can't, I do not have the authority. I do not have the power to do that. Um, I was speaking in South Africa in Cape Town the week before we went to the crusade in Johannesburg. And it was uh, a gathering. Uh, you may remember uh, Rietta McPherson who came and spoke at our school of ministry conference, and we did her school of ministry there. And I was speaking, and uh, as I was speaking, I, I wanted to illustrate a point about how God uses names and how God changes things. And there was a woman sitting on the front row that I did not know. I did not know her name, but I just chose her randomly. We find out later it was by divine choice. But I, I just said... Um, you know, I can't recall your name, but today your name will be Sarah with an H. And she said, no. You know, she's shaking her head like she hates the name Sarah or she hates the whole concept that I'm giving her a name. And I said, for example, and I kept going down to that, and I said, your name is Sarah. And she's shaking her head. I said, your name is Sarah with an H. And the, the difference in the Bible is Sarah with, without the H means without child, but Sarah with the H means mother. And I said, your name is Sarah. And at the end of the talk, after about 45 minutes, she came up to me, tears in her face. She said, you have no idea what you just did. And I, I, I said, what? And I'm thinking, I must have offended her with the name Sarah. She said, I hate the name Sarah. And I thought, I've, I've gotten into some bad territory here. I don't know what I've done. And I said, why do you hate the name Sarah? She says, because I cannot have children. And I've always hated the name Sarah because she got pregnant. She said, but today I realized that God was speaking a word to me. And my spiritual name is now Sarah. For 15 years I've been trying to have children. I hope to hear in the days ahead that Sarah from Cape Town has a child. I didn't have that. That didn't come from Phil. That came from the Spirit of God. I wanted to speak to her in that moment. You see, God does stuff that sometimes you can't explain. You can't really fully understand. We have an unlimited opportunity in our world on every day. Every day we have an unlimited opportunity. Paul Bilheimer says this, when God lays any burden of prayer upon you, when God lays any burden of prayer upon you, it is his way of revealing his purpose and will in a particular situation. By this burden, God is telling you that he is already mobilizing circumstances to accomplish the purpose of the burden. It is therefore a substantial encouragement of faith. You know, when you see God do something, you just love it. You know, over three years ago, we've worked, Tammy and I have worked nonstop in building this church. God has clearly blessed us with many miracles and his grace on every hand. In fact, we weren't even prepared for all that God would do in bringing the miracles and bringing things to our heart. We love this church, and we love you, and we have a pretty aggressive schedule between now and Easter. In fact, 
This following week, uh, we have training in Kansas City, Immerse, uh, for a prayer ministry we're going to start here, a day and night prayer ministry. And then we've got Easter coming up to that. And as we looked at our life and looked at our schedule and looked at the last three years, uh, following Easter, Tammy and I plan to take some time off for ourselves. It's been a long time coming. We've heard many of you say something like this, you really need to get some rest, and you're right. And we haven't done that. And so we're going to refuel the tank. We're going to replenish it because we are in this for the long haul. We want to make sure that we recharge our tanks and get ready for the great adventure that God has in store for Influence Church. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. See, because God is in the business of restoration. I rather suspect after the number of comments I heard from last week when I spoke on Sabbath rest, how needful that was, how your life changed, how you had to reevaluate your life, I venture to say that most people, if not everybody in this room, need to find that rest with God, need to be restored and have their hearts refilled and their souls replenished by God. That's not something we can fill ourselves. You know, we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. You know, sometimes busyness is, we're going to fill it with busyness so I don't think about how exhausted I might be in the spiritual realm or in the emotional realm. But you see, until Jesus returns, he's chosen us to advance his kingdom through us. But even Jesus, what did he do? Had you noticed how he pulled away? The crowds were too much for Jesus, and he was the son of God. We just think, oh, well, that's good for Jesus, but I don't have time for that. But you see, he learned the secret that in restoration and renewal, you have to restore in order to function on a higher level. So his kingdom, as God works in Christ, we have dominion and authority to act on his behalf until he comes again. Isn't that a crazy thought? He, he empowered you and you and you and you and every one of you. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, it says this, do not fear, little flock. Now, let me just slow down and let you think about that. He says, don't fear. What do you fear right now? What's, what are you afraid of right now? He says, don't fear that. Then he says, why? Because you're my little flock. You're, I'm your shepherd. I love you. I watch over you. I nourish you. You fear things at school? Don't fear. You fear things on your job? Don't fear. You fear things in your relationships? Don't fear. Don't fear. Little flock, I'm your shepherd. See, the shepherd loves the sheep. He guides the sheep. He encourages the sheep. When we start to fear, what it is is we're moving out from a, the, the area of, of pastoral care that the good shepherd gives. And we go, well, I feel all alone. Then just step back into the little flock. Understand that's what he's doing. He says, don't fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you know it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him? He said, I'll go through the cross for the joy. You know what's the joy set before him? You. You're his joy. That's why he died. You're his joy. You're his joy. Think how jealous God is for your love. How he pursues you for his, for, for out of love. When we get away, he's not angry. He's jealous in the good sense of the word that he's pursuing you because he loves you. He wants to be close to you. I thought he didn't like me and, and I was running from him. No, he loves you even more. 
He pursues you. He is a jealous God, jealous for your love, jealous for your time, jealous for your affection. He knows the best way for you to function is to be in his presence. And you can do that all through the day. God puts divine desires in your heart. The Lord will reveal his will through what's going on in your heart. Arthur Wallace, the guy that we read in the 21-day fast this, this uh, recent uh, couple of months, said this, in, the realm, in this realm, it's a deep mystery. Persistence is needful in the spiritual realm. You have to persevere. You, cannot, you have to have an enduring faith that does not stop. Often pressure has to be maintained until the breakthrough comes. I don't know where the breakthrough's coming, but I'm not going to stop until I see the breakthrough. I don't know when the victory is coming, but I'm not stopping until the victory comes. I, it may be hard, and it may be like those moments restoring a car when you say, enough of this. I'm done. Easier without the car. Trust me. Stay with it. Stay with what God is doing. In Psalm 37, verse 4, a verse that everybody seems to know at one time in their life or another, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me just explain in the Hebrew that word delight. It means something a little bit different than you might think. It means to be delicate. It doesn't mean to shout and yell and and praise God. That's not what that word means. It means to be delicate or to be soft. God wants us to be delicate or soft before him, tender, so when he speaks, we hear him. When I am tender toward God, God gives me the desires of my heart. Not when I'm shouting and singing and clapping, when I'm tender. And when we just invite the tenderness, God, I just want to be tender. I want to hear from you, God. Would you speak to me? And he will give you the desires of your heart. And then in Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus says something that is this almost without restriction, open contract for answered prayer. It's so big, I don't even like reading it sometimes because I think, God, you must have made a mistake. It's too big, it's too broad, it's too wide open. Listen to what he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I want to rewrite that. For Jesus. I want to say it like this. Therefore, I say unto you, when you ask and pray, believe that you receive, and you might get them. That's how my natural man wants to do it. Because how can God really mean that? How can God give me an open contract on prayer and say, ask and believe and you shall receive? And he puts a word in there, whatever, whatsoever, however your translation puts it, it's broad, wide, open. How does that happen? Because God has entrusted power and authority to his children on planet earth. And I don't get it, but he has. He has. That's why you saw students and young adults go to Africa And they could look at somebody and they could declare something over them. They could speak evil out of their life and it obeyed. And they had no experience. They had no training in that. All they had was relationship. What happened? What made the difference? You see, because when you start to realize who you are, you can do great exploits. As long as you think you are who you are, you you miss it. You have to think about who does God think that I am? You know, orphans, orphans are are wired for survival. If you see yourself as an orphan, all you think about is survival. 
How do I get through this week? How do I get through life? How do I, how do I, how do I? But sons, sons are wired for destiny. Sons are wired for destiny. Daughters are wired for destiny. God has something more for you than you could ever imagine. Now let me give you a few life applications. Here's the first one. Choose to live your life from the tree of life. And you have to choose every day. Am I operating the tree of life? Tree of death. Tree of life? Tree of death. Use every opportunity you have in life, every opportunity you have in life to move the hand of God. That's what prayer does. I'm moving the hand of God. I'm transforming the world around me by my prayer, by my faith. I'm seeing God do some stuff. What is it you're believing God for? Trust God for that. Let God work. And then expect God to act according to your prayers. Do you really think God's going to answer your prayers? Well, I hope so. God doesn't answer hope so prayers. I'd like for him to. He doesn't answer like to prayers. He answers I know so prayers. I know God is obligated, and if I have to stick with this prayer the rest of my life, I'm holding God at his word. I want to see the hand of God work. And God, if you want to, if you want to take that from me, if my prayer was the wrong prayer and you don't want me praying that, you have to show me that in prayer. And so prayer has this self-purifying effect. When I pray long enough, God has an ability to straighten my thinking out as I become delicate before God, and I hear his voice more clearly. I hear it, and I know it. Yesterday, I, I sat out in the backyard, just put on my sunglasses, such a nice day, just relax, put a little suntan lotion on, get ready for the copper tone commercial. And as I sat there, I heard something I hadn't heard in I don't know how long. I didn't think I had any birds in my backyard. And all of a sudden, I began to hear. I thought, what is that? It's not my, it's not iTunes. What is that? And I began to hear a bird over to my right. I just kept my eyes closed. And then I heard a different bird over to my left. And in that short few minutes, I heard five or six different birds. I didn't know I had any birds in my backyard because I never got still long enough to hear the birds. I rather suspect that we never get still long enough to hear his voice. We hear the clatter. We hear the clatter of, of all that we think he's saying, but we never hear him. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Just listen. And every once in a while, you'll hear a little chirp. And then another one. And then another one. And God's speaking. God's speaking. And he speaks because he wants relationship with you. He wants to go deeper with you. He wants you to become that warrior to go to that next level, to be an overcomer, to see his hand in everything you do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's, uh, I'm going to have you just repeat something out loud with me. I think it seals some of these kind of messages in our heart when we do that. Just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I commit myself to hearing your voice. I want to listen. I want to respond. You have made me to be strong, to be powerful, to be an overcomer. I believe what you say is true. I am strong. 
I am powerful. I am an overcomer. I will do great things for the kingdom, for my family, in school, at job. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that confession stays with you, and I just want to bless you as we go out in prayer. Let me just bless you in the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you right now. May you feel right now, just feel the presence of God. Feel the power of God. Feel his pleasure as he comes to you and says, I love you. Fear not, little flock. I am your shepherd. It is my great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now seize it as a child of the living God, in whose name we pray, Jesus, amen. Hey, God bless you. Hey, as you go out today, don't forget, baptism sign up. You want to be a part of uh, Easter celebration, you can do that as well. A school of ministry, Tuesday, men's Bible study, Monday night. Join us. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.